you're joining us, if you're, if you're watching here on TV Santa Barbara in Santa Barbara, California, where we're sitting, we welcome you. Or uh, for those of you who are joining us from around the country at goodlifetelevision.org and all these other platforms, uh, we welcome you as well. You can also find us always at the different social media platforms. Uh, and if you go to goodlifetelevision.org, you can watch full interviews, you can watch power clips. It's a great spot to, to see some of these incredible stories, some of these wonderful people that we've been talking with. And lastly, a lot of you have found us at our podcast. We, we, we turn these interviews from video into a podcast. It's called Good Life Conversations. So if you're on Spotify or all these different podca podcast platforms, you can find us there at Good Life Conversations, and you can hear some, some great interviews. So we welcome you. We're talking about the good stuff. We're talking to good people. We have one here today uh, who are doing great things, who have great hearts. Uh, so I want to welcome my guest, uh, Jade Molina, is with me. Welcome. How you doing, Dean? I'm good. Good. Uh, so Jade has a really interesting and, and wonderful background. He he's, did serve in the military. He's now... Over the last number of years, he's been an educator, a coach, a mentor, a public speaker. He does a podcast, and he has a day job too, which, uh, which I guess, which is uh, <laughs> he works at Oaks Christian School in Thousand Oaks, California, pretty close to where we're sitting here. Uh, he, he's he works in in kind of spiritual life. What what is your what, what is your title? At yeah, Oaks well, the, the official title is uh, director of spiritual life, but okay. nobody knows what that means. So. <laughs> Uh, we've, we've kind of started to shift towards campus pastor. Okay. Campus. That's what happens. So you say campus pastor, it's like, oh, okay, I get, I get that. get it. Right. Yeah. So we just figured that out. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it was really wonderful to read about you and to hear kind of what you're doing and your story. But I, I wanted to start today kind of with your upbringing, kind yeah. of where you came from and where you grew up and kind of what influenced you as a young person. <laughs> what influenced me? Myself. Uh, and my, my selfish desires are what influenced me. No, I, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I'm originally from Bakersfield, California, which is a couple hours from here. Yeah. Uh, I like to call it the Midwest of California. Right. Uh, a lot of oil, good old boy, you know, farmland, uh, born and raised. Uh, my, both my mom and my dad are originally from there. I ended up graduating from the same high school of both my parents. And uh, my upbringing was, you know, good people, uh, trying to make their way. Um, we had very little church influence. If you would have asked me what I believed about uh, God or spirituality, I would have said, yeah, there's obviously a creator of all this. But I had no intimate relationship uh, with the Lord or even really knew who Jesus was. But there were people in my neighborhood. There were, there were 27 kids that lived on my street. Oh, wow. We, were in, we had a little cul-de-sac, and I was the second oldest in my neighborhood. And it was, uh, it was wild. Um, every once in a while, uh, we'll, we'll get together with many of the kids that grew up in this neighborhood and we just reminisce and talk about the old days. And yeah. it was just good. It was good times. We found plenty of ways to get in trouble <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> as, young, as young people. But uh, there were a couple really uh, interesting families on our street that were devoted to their faith. And they would talk to us and... Uh, they would love us right where we're at, and that was a that was probably the first seed of of faith that I had. But I wasn't real interested in it at the time. But when the when the time came, where I had went down enough wrong roads right. uh, to ask, "What is all this about?" Those seeds were there, and they started to to grow. So wow, that, that's a little bit of my upbringing. Yeah, that's interesting. 
It's amazing what neighbors, the, the impact that you have without mm -hmm. even knowing it really when you're yeah. kind of walking together. Well, my, one of my best friends mm -hmm. lived in the neighborhood, Kevin. He, they invited us to church all the time. And when we would say yes, they just loved it and we'd go with them. And when, they, when we said no, they loved us anyway and it, it just didn't change anything. Right. They just loved us where we were. And that was that seed that yeah. was planted and yeah. uh, I, I will always be grateful for that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's neat. So you, you end up going into the military, and, and then I, I saw a little bit about, so when you were 25, mm -hmm. you, you got out of the military and you were struggling, or you mm -hmm. were, this was a tough moment. Yeah. Describe that. Sure. Well, it, the reason I went into the military is because I found myself going down the wrong road. I didn't want to be in school anymore. I had been going to junior college. I was playing baseball and I started partying and drinking and I found myself just lost. And I, and I had some family that had been in the military and I, I just, I needed to run a little bit and go find myself. And I thought the military would help. And uh, there were incentives, you know, I could go to college afterward and have the money. So did that, ended up playing on the all Navy baseball team. It was an amazing experience. Got out uh, but what I what I what happened when I was in the Navy is I ended up learning how to party more. Just I could get to work, and <laughs> I thought I was responsible, but I really wasn't. So at the age of 25, I'm a year out of the Navy. Uh, I am drinking pretty much every night. Uh, my wife is about ready to leave me. I'm a jerk to everyone around me. And I'm, I'm about ready to lose it all. Hmm. We can start there. We, there's about 100 different directions we can go from there. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, take us there. Okay. So, so I remember uh, one night, so this, this lifestyle I was living, I was lost. Uh, you know, I had this purpose when I was in the service. And then I get out, and now we have a child. And uh, I, I don't know how to be a dad. I don't know how to be a husband, really. Um, so I'm drinking every night. So one night we go out, and my wife uh, asks, uh, you know, can you, can you not drink tonight? I was like, yeah, I promise. I was full of, full of broken promises. And uh, where this story really begins is one night I come home from work. I walk in the back door of our kitchen. And as I walk in the back door, I look up and I'm like, gosh, dang it, she's left the kitchen cabinets open again. Just irritated me. So I walk over, I'm gonna teach her a lesson. I walk over to the kitchen cabinets, I open all the cabinets up, I open the refrigerator up, I open all the drawers up, I, I pull the dishwasher open, I go and I get cereal boxes out of the pantry and I lay them all over the, the sink and I open them up. And then I step back and I look at my masterpiece, right? My, my lesson I'm going to teach her. And I go sit down with her in our living room and I'm waiting. And she finally gets up and walks into our kitchen. And she's like, Jade, what happened in here? And I had followed her in and I'm standing there with my hands on my hips. And I was like, you don't like that, do you? And she just melted. She just melted and started crying, and I felt about that big. And I had, I had basically verbally abused her. I was trying to teach her a lesson of something that I didn't like. Mm. And I didn't know what to do about it other than apologize and ask if I can take her out. So that is the reason we're out one night, and she asks me not to drink. 
So we go to a movie, we go to dinner, we end up at a friend's house. And it didn't take very long for a buddy of mine, uh, Doug, <laughs> to come up and ask me if I wanted a beer. And so he offers me this beer. I look past him and I can see my wife standing in the distance and I kind of shrug my shoulders like, can I have a beer? And she says, you can have one. Well, at that point in my life, I couldn't have one. So next thing I know, about an hour later, I'm out in the backyard with two other buddies, pouring margarita mix and vodka down my throat, <laughs> passing it around and getting drunk. And she comes out of the door off to my right, and I can see her coming, and she's so disappointed. I just remember the look on her face. And she just stands there, kind of hovering over me, and she said, you promised, you promised. I'm done, I can't do this anymore. And it, I was intoxicated, and I was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. So she leaves, she left, and I continued doing what I'm doing, and a point comes where I know I need to get, get going and get home. So I leave this little party, and I find myself walking on this dark, kind of two-lane road, and I'm stumbling out in the street, and I remember a car driving by and honking its horn. And I'm thinking to myself, I need to get on the other side. There was a divider over here off to, off to my right. I need to get on the other side of that divider or I'm going to get hit by a car. So I walk over, I sit down on it, swing my legs over. <laughs> and uh, I wake up probably a few hours later and half of my body is on an embankment and the other half of my body is in water. Uh, in Bakersfield, I, had, I realized I had been walking over a bridge going over the Kern River. And I had fallen probably 12 to 15 feet. Come to find out I had cracked my tailbone. I was beat up. I remember laying there thinking, am I dead or am I alive? I don't know what's happening to me right now. And uh, I end up getting back, I get it to my hands and my feet and I crawl up to the starting place of where I had fallen off this bridge. And I realized that if I would have walked about another three feet there wouldn't have been any waking up at all. I would have, I would have went right in the water. No doubt I would have drowned. No doubt I would have drowned. Oh my gosh. So now I have cuts all over my feet. I can barely walk. I'm in and out of crying. The pain is just, I've ne I, I used to fight a lot in my neighborhood, but I'd never been punched like that. And I remember a, a police officer driving by and I'm trying to wave him down. He just keeps going and then I'm crying more. So finally that, that police officer comes back around and I remember him pulling up behind me. He walks up to me and he shines a light in my face. I remember he leaned back and said, what the heck happened to you? Because I, apparently I looked pretty beat up. And I, I, I tried to play the good drunk. Well, I was at a party. They wanted me to get in the car. I didn't want to drive because people have been drinking. So I started to walk home and I fell off the bridge. Can you just take me home? <laughs> it's just a mess. I just right? had two beers. Right? Yeah, I just had two beers, right? <laughs> and you know, the, you know, the passage, I think of James, you know, it starts small and just can, continues to grow. It's just yeah. like I went from drinking one to two to getting drunk and now I'm falling off a bridge. <laughs> and I'm a mess. So he says, no, I think I need to take you to the emergency room. You're pretty beat up. And I was like, well, I don't have any insurance. <laughs> Just take me home. So he takes me home. I get out of the cop car. I come in the same back door that I enter when I do the kitchen cabinet thing. And now I met when I open the door. Sun's not up yet. It's probably about five in the morning. 
my wife is just throwing everything she can at me. She had been up. I'm getting hit with keys and books and whatever else she's throwing at me and telling me to get out. I can't do this anymore. And I'm crying. I was like, no, I'm hurt. I'm hurt. You don't understand. What do you mean you're hurt? And we're arguing. And she turns on the light. And there we are standing in the kitchen again. And she's crying again. Because apparently I look pretty bad. And I tell her what happened. And she grabs my hand and she walks us into our bedroom, lays me down and starts putting peroxide all over my cuts. And I'm screaming into the pillow. It's so painful. I finally fall asleep. Sometime the next morning, I don't know what time it was, mid-morning, uh, I wake up and I feel like I've been run over twice by multiple trucks. I work my way to the bathroom and I stand there and and I, and I find myself looking in the mirror and uh, I'm looking in the mirror and I don't even recognize the person looking back. My teeth, both of my two front teeth, half of them are missing. And what's left is just jagged. So I take an emery board that the ladies file their nails with, thinking I can at least fix it a little bit. So I start trying to, it's, I don't recommend that. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was awful. Uh, and I just remember, I had a bruise all the way up to the middle of my back. Like I said, I had come to find out I cracked my tailbone. And I remember looking in that mirror and thinking to myself, uh, I need to make a change. Mm -hmm. if, I, if I want to be the husband that my wife needs and that I know I'm supposed to be, and uh, I want to be the man that I think I should be, this got to change. Mm. Well, it just so happens uh, that I had to be, this was on a Sunday morning, I had to be on a flight to South Korea the next morning <laughs> because I was still in the Navy Reserves and my two weeks of duty fell that Monday. Ooh. So I had to fly from Bakersfield into LA and then from LA into Korea. And it was about a 17 and a half hour flight. I think they thought I was dead. I just, I, luckily I had three seats. I laid down and slept and I got to, uh, I'll kind of close here, but I got into South Korea, I checked into the duty station, I could barely walk, and they were like, what happened to you? And it just, the lies continue to go. I told them I had a downhill mountain bike accident. So if there's any military people out there watching, I'm past the time I can get in trouble for, <laughs> for the lie. Um, and they said, well, you're unfit for duty, so we're going to put you in a recovery barrack for two weeks. So I laid in this recovery barrack for two weeks and I concluded that there were four things that needed to change in my life. Uh, first thing is I needed to figure out how to become a better husband and daddy. This time my daughter was very young. Uh, number two, I needed to get fit. I had always been an athlete. At this point in my life, I wasn't working out. I wasn't in shape. I just drank all the time. Number three, I needed to get a job and be a provider for my family. At the, I was trying to sell insurance. I was, I was selling Aflac before the duck. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't working. I wasn't, I wasn't a very good salesman. And, uh, and then the last thing was, for some reason, I needed to go to church. I needed to go to church. I, I, I didn't like church. I thought it was irrelevant when I would go. My wife grew up in the church, and I kind of pulled her away from it. But I knew it was a good place. And at this point in my life, I felt I was bad. For some, we needed, for some reasons, we needed to go there. So we start going to church. I get home. My wife says, I'll forgive you, give you another chance. We start going to church. And for six weeks, Dean, I'm sitting in that church. There's about 350 people sitting in the, in the room. And I'm like, 
hitting my wife. I'm like, what are you telling this guy before we come in here? Because he's only talking to me. <laughs> that was the first time I had ever felt the presence of God tugging on my heart. Every, every week that pastor would give a message to accept Christ, give an invitation, and my stomach would be sitting in my throat. and I didn't know what to do with it, but I for sure was not going to go up there. Right. And then one Sunday morning, I remember waking up. I had started praying in, in, my, in my mind, and things were starting to change on the inside. And I made a predetermined decision. I knew it was coming on Sunday. So I was like, I'm going to give my life to Christ today. So we go to church. He gives the invitation. I grab my wife's hand, and she's big eyes. What are you doing? I was like, I'm going. So we go up there together, and I'll never forget the pastor says, he says, uh, you have a decision to make today? I said, yes, sir. He's like, do you know what that means? No, sir. <laughs> I just feel like it's what I'm supposed to do every week. My stomach's sitting in my throat. So he gives me a little wow. gospel message and asks me if I want to be baptized. And so I, my wife and I actually get baptized together. Um, she'd already been baptized as a kid, but we did it together again. And uh, the, the, a new journey began. A new wow. journey began. So that was really the, the moment. That was the moment. <clears throat> you know, some people have kind of stories where it's like, well, it was kind of this moment, and then it was that moment, and it was, but, but for you, I mean, it really, there was a line. It's pretty distinct. Yeah. I, I call it my, kind of my Paul moment. Yeah. I, I really resonate with the story of the Apostle Paul. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting because after that, I was, you know, I was I just hungry. Mm -hmm. I couldn't stop reading Scripture. Mm -hmm. I just, it was consuming to me. But the problem that I ran into is that we started going to Sunday school. And... I read these stories, these outrageous stories of a guy that sticks a stick in the water and the water splits in half and they walk through it and that same guy had talked to a bush and that's God's voice. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I don't understand this. Uh, there's a guy named Jesus who dies and yet comes back. And I'm like, man, I, I go to, I've been to funerals. I cry because the people stay dead. I don't understand right, this. Right. And I would ask these Christian people, how do you, how, how do you intellectually deal with this. I mean, something's happening in me. Like I'm radically changing and something's going on and my life's getting better. And the alcohol, he removed the alcohol from me. Profanity was just, it was part of my vernacular. Profanity was being removed from the way I spoke. Mm. And, but intellectually I couldn't make the connection. So when I would ask people, I got a standard answer in the church and it was like, you just got to have faith, brother. And I got so frustrated. And so after a few years of this, I just like told my, I told my wife, I was like, Sunday at, at big church, you know, is awesome. But Sunday school, I can't do it anymore. I, it's, it's, I just can't do it anymore. And that launched me on a five-year journey of reading and exploring truth. I read the Bible, you know, Genesis to Revelation multiple times. I studied it. I've got binders of notes. Mm. Uh, I didn't even know what seminary was. I, I don't know what that is, right? I just dove in. And then I, rode, uh, I read the Quran. I read the Bhagavad Gita, which is you know, a small section of the Hindu tradition. I read a lot of the writings of Buddha. I read a lot of philosophy. I read a lot of atheists. And the thing that I couldn't get past, I couldn't get past this guy, Jesus. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get past what he was claiming about himself and how many people had stories of transformation 
and the fact that I'm having this thing happening in me. And I was like, all of these, I'm reading them. And I was like, they can't all be, they, they contradict each other in some places. Yeah, they have some, they have har harmony in places. But there's something very distinct about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And uh, where this story culminates, and I'll throw it back to you because I think you probably got more questions, <laughs> is I, I was at jury duty about five years into this. And I was struggling with what to do. What decision do I make about where I'm at now? I'm, I'm landing on some Jesus. I'm at jury duty. I'm on the panel. They haven't quite picked the jury yet, but a, a, a potential juror that was next to me found out she was a nun. They dismiss us for break, and we're going to lunch, and she's up in front of me, and I chase her down in the hallway. I was like, Sister Regina, Sister Regina, you don't know me, but can I take you to lunch? And she's like, okay. I said, I, can I just ask you some questions about God? <laughs> she's like, sure. She was probably in her late 60s at the time. We go to lunch. I tell her the story that I just told you. And she just looks at me. And she holds her hand up. She's twisting the ring on her finger, wedding ring. And she tells me how at 13 years old, she had an encounter with the Lord. And he asked her, will you go all the way with me? And she said, yes. And she said, I've never been married to a man. I'm committed to doing the Lord's work. Mm. He is my sustainer. And she looks at me, Dean, and she says, it sounds to me, son, like he's asking you the same thing. Mm. And I just like, whew. <laughs> I even get emotional when I talk about it now. But yeah. I was like, I'm in. I'm going to go all the way. Mm. And it was probably a few months after that. They got a phone call from somebody at Oaks Christian School saying, hey, we lost our sixth grade Bible teacher. Would you be interested in applying? And I'm like, I don't know if I'm qualified for that. I've got a resume 10 pages long for being a strength and conditioning coach. And I had, you know, been an elder in the church and I'd done some preaching, but I wasn't in seminary. And they said, no, just, just go apply. Well, Lord did some pretty interesting work and I found myself going from training professional athletes to one day I was sitting in a sixth grade classroom teaching the Bible every day. And that was 12 years ago. <laughs> There's a lot there. There is. What is your What is your wife? I mean, obviously you're 26 <laughs> years married. You have four now grown kids. Yeah. Um, what would she say or how would she kind of characterize from, from opening the kitchen cabinets, uh -huh. you know? Yeah. Um, well, we can't use today. profanity on this show, but she might use it to describe the kind of man I was. <laughs> At the beginning. At the beginning. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, that's another show. Most people ask me this question. Like, what's your wife's perspective and why did she stay with you? Yeah. And I still don't know, other than the Lord did a great work on her. But um, I've asked her, and she says, the Lord told me to stay. And there was something in you that I saw. Yeah. I knew that if he got a hold of you, it was going to be good. Isn't that amazing? Um, sometimes we'll be laying in bed and, and she's asleep and I'll look at her and I'm like, Lord, I don't know how you did this. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for giving her the patience. Wow. I read about kind of your four passions and I want to yeah. kind of get to, to that. But before we kind of get to, the, to your work and kind of what you're doing now and what your message is... Um, what do, you, what do you say to somebody who's struggling right now, who's bound up or mm -hmm. addicted or lost or 
you know, just doesn't know which way is up today. I mean, do, how, how do you tell them, where do you tell them to start? It's funny. So if we go back to the story where I was looking in the mirror, it's funny, Michael Jackson had a song called Man in the Mirror. Right. That is kind of a uh, mantra. Uh, when I'm having conversations, particularly with men, because that became a ministry for me, mm -hmm. is uh, speaking into men's lives, is I ask a simple question. Do you really want to change? Mm -hmm. Because all great change begins with desire. Mm -hmm. If you really want to change, well, there's a way. Yeah. And it'll start with asking a question. And I start with Christ. You just ask him to come help. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be messy and it's going to be hard. And he will help and he will put the right people around you. But you have to want to change. Yes. And he will do it. Yeah. And you can do it. Yeah. And the people that have been through this will walk with you through the storms. But if you don't want to change and you don't allow the people to come help you, well, then I hope that you enjoy where you're at. <laughs> right. And, and it may sound harsh, but that's the truth. No, right. It's almost like the question Jesus asked, do you want to get well? Yes. I mean, but, but that, that, the answer, do you want to change? That's a big one. Because I think, I mean, there's, I think it's very common. I want to feel better. I don't want to suffer the consequences of what I'm dealing with right now. I don't want this mess. But do you want to change? That's a really good question. Well, so I think that in just our human, our, it's very natural for us to describe what we don't want. But something interesting in, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, you know, John the Baptist has disciples. He has men that are following him and he's opening the way and he's calling repentance upon the people. And he identifies Jesus one day, you know, walking along the Jordan River. And he's like, look, there he is. <laughs> there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And these two, do, I love the story. I tell this to my students all the time. There's these two guys that are like, so, so John, that's him? That's, that's the guy you've been telling us about. He's like, that's him. They're like, you know, we love you. And it's been good knowing you, John. But if that's the guy you've been telling us about, <laughs> we're going to go start following him. And John's completely cool with it. That's what, I'm, that's what I've been trying to tell you. So Jesus is walking, and he knows that these two guys are now following him, and they're in the shadow. So he turns around, and he asks the most profound question. What do you want, man? The text tells us. He just turns around and says, what do you want? Another way it's been translated is, what are you looking for? Now, why would Jesus ask him those two questions when he already knows? Right. It's because the question is for them to declare, mm -hmm. what is it you desire? Yeah. That's why I start with that question. That's really profound. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's fair to say, and honest, to be honest, I think a lot of people don't want to change. And I mean, and, you know, they talk about bottoms. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, circumstantially, you, you fell off a thing. You're almost, I literally in, the, hit you're almost in the river. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that was kind of a moment. <laughs> uh, and but but it's almost like circumstantially, some people it takes a lot to get to that point, and other people maybe doesn't take much at all, and they're just. But but you know, I think about the gift of desperation. Mm. 
You know, what a wonderful mm. phrase that is. We don't want to be desperate. We want to be independent, self-sufficient. And, and, and yet, what he's calling us to is utter dependence. Mm. So, he? something that the military taught me, there's two things I hear in what you're saying. Number one, yeah, people want to feel, they want to be free. Have freedom. Yeah. But we, we don't always understand what that means. Freedom right. isn't so free. Right. Freedom, what the, what the military taught me is that there are these three distinct journeys in, our, in life. And that when it comes to manhood, womanhood, right? When we go from adolescence or we go from being the, the prince or the princess, moving into our kingship and our queenship, that, that God, that's part of the inheritance of the kingdom. Right? We have an ultimate king, but we do have a kingship over our own kingdoms, mm -hmm. our families that we're called to, right. a queenship. Right. This is language I use with the young yeah. people and the men that I minister to, is that in order to move from prince to king or princess to queen, it requires a surrender and a submission mm -hmm. to a, an idea, a cause, a person that is outside yourself. And even secular worldviews understand this. Mm -hmm. The whole military is based off this principle. Why do you go to boot camp? It's the season of learning how to surrender and submit to an authority, to a cause bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. And you have to go through that. It's an initiation process. Once you've been initiated and you surrender to this, well, now they can put a weapon in your hand. Mm -hmm. they can, you're responsible. They can trust you. But now you have to go through specialized training to be able to be a contributor to the cause. Mm -hmm. So that's where your strength and power now start to be developed. But that strength and power in your life is always housed on top of the surrender and submission. Most people want to go from no surrender and submission and jump right into strength and power. Right. And that's a tyrant. And that's who I was. Mm. Mm. I didn't understand submission or yielding. But when I did, that's what defined my manhood. That was when I really learned how to be a man and be strong and powerful because now I had someone and something that I was surrendering to that was way bigger than me. Mm. And it gave me cause and purpose. Yeah. So then the third journey in our life is now that we can live on those roads, we understand that surrender and submission leads to true strength and power and exercising that and becoming the kind of person who can operate and contribute to society then the third journey is, um, is legacy and influence. Mm -hmm. Like I'm now, I'm 48 now, older than many, not as old as some, but now the way I give back to the kingdom is very different. And, and so now I'm in legacy season, but I'm still growing, I'm still surrendering, I'm still operating in a strength and power on, on that stage, but now the way my kids are older now, 24, 21, and 17. The, these young people, these men, I have a legacy now that is very deep inside of me. Um, and that's what I try to teach these young people and to the men that I work with, particularly in the church. Yeah. So sur surrender and submission, operating in strength and power, and then thinking about legacy and in mm -hmm. influence. Yes. Yeah, that's really good. I call it the mountain of manhood. And this is your, you kind of came up with this? Well, there's a guy that wrote this? a book called The Map. 
and he generated this concept. Uh, he tells this great story in the book, but really how he really came up on this idea. He was sitting in his pajamas one morning having his coffee, and he decided to stand back and look at the book of Matthew and just kind of take a macro view of it. And he saw this pattern in the life of Jesus and the way the author structured the book of Matthew. And he saw these three journeys. He, he talks about them a little bit differently, and I've kind of adopted that and then ran with it. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to this author and have grown to know him and consulted with him. And I said, hey, I kind of look at it a little differently. What do you think of this? He's like, man, run with it. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I've kind of built the ministry that I started several years ago called Men of Growth. That's it's so all good. on that foundation. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think sometimes about, I don't know, somebody told me this once, but that with obedience comes authority mm-hmm. when you say you know we want to skip the submission and surrender part and just get right to the power the authority i mean and, and this person that was teaching me this was talking about with obedience which i think is what surrender is mm-hmm. submission mm-hmm. comes authority you become a person of authority when you've when you're doing that mm-hmm. would you say that that's true absolutely I'll give an example. Uh, so I had the opportunity to coach youth football for almost 15 years with my own children and then becoming the head of our middle school program at Oaks Christian. I realized what was unique about our program is that in my personal obedience and surrender and submission to the Lord, the way I approached the game was that football was just a vehicle to raise young men. Mm -hmm. And I realized how uniquely different that was uh, as an approach to football than every other coach around me. and, And so what happens is I gained more influence with our students on that football field because of the obedience and surrender to the Lord and Him whispering in my ear, that's not a game. That's a vehicle to reach them for the kingdom. Mm. It just changes perspective. Yeah. So now when a student, they don't want to hear you sometimes. They're not sure about this Jesus character. The, the faith thing might be a little boring to them. might seem irrelevant. But that game over there that they love, and you really look at that as the lens, the influence just opens up, and mm. you start to make an impact that you might not ever make in the classroom. Yeah, that's good. That's great. So let's talk about men of growth. And so sure. your, your, your heart, I mean, and, and uh, I was reading kind of about the things that, you, that you've defined as kind of that you're passionate about. But one of the things you're passionate about is helping other men. Mm-hmm. Talk about how you do that and kind of, and maybe we've already talked about it, but what, really what your messages are, what your message is, what your goal is with yeah. men. Well, uh, a lot of it is based off my personal experience, but... Um, I, I struggle with the idea. <laughs> uh, I understand it, I think, from a, uh, a, a posture of humility when someone like a believer, someone that is a, a, a Christian, says something like, it's not about me. It's just, it's all about the Lord. Or, uh, you know, something of that posture. Well, I, I don't think so. I disagree with that statement. If, if that's true, why, why, would, why, would G, why would John say, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If it's only about Jesus, it's all about Jesus, not about me. Why would Jesus say in John 10.10, there is an enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life to the full, or life abundantly. Even Jesus says it's about us at some level. Now, we can be, take that and justify self-centeredness or selfishness. That's not what is being talked about here. That in, in the design, I look at the cross, there's two beams on the cross. There's a vertical beam and a horizontal beam. And what we see happening there is that the vertical beam is about a vertical relationship with our maker, and the horizontal beam represents the horizontal relationships that that vertical beam holds up and sustains. And mm. so it's about both. Mm-hmm. Is that when I give and surrender and submit to the Lord, my maker, then what happens is that he inputs in, he comes into me through the Holy Spirit and then defines how my humanity should go for me. Mm. And I have this relationship and it's about us doing life together vertically and horizontally. Mm. And Jesus offered that on the cross and then defeated and conquered death by being resurrected. And it says, I've got a gift for you. You want it? Mm. And that's good news to me. When I see men not living in that life, and I reflect on my own experience, it breaks me. Mm. It breaks me. And, the, and, and years ago, after I had kind of started coming out of my mess, he just placed it on me. I went to a church, uh, we called it a men's encounter, years ago. And I was kind of looking for how to serve, you know, outside of athletics and all that. And I went to this men's encounter and I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. It's reaching men. So how do I approach it? Uh, I want to help men fully engage life and thrive in their faith, their fitness, their family, and in their finances. Mm. Because those were the four areas that when I was laying in that bed in South Korea, those are the four F's that he worked and revealed to me. And the full engagement part, I think that's what Jesus is talking. When I came to, you know, give you life and life to the full. Like, there's a book written years ago called The Power of Full Engagement. And so this concept of the four F's, faith, fitness, family, finances, with full engagement, what I've learned in my life is that if I intentionally, if I intentionally pursue faith, growing in my relationship with the Lord, and I intentionally seek fitness and actually maximize my body's efficiency with the foods I eat, stressing my heart in the right way and lungs in the right way to help have more physical capacity, that both of those two things actually feed into my capacity to have more time and more energy with my family, the people I love, and be present with them, and my capacity to have clarity of mind on how to uh, uh, be, how to bring a uh, live in a vocation that affords me to live and grow financially. You know, I'm a teacher and I'm a coach. I would like to have more money than what that offers. I want to do more in this world. However. It's tapped out. So I've learned how to make money in other ways. I've learned how to invest. And so those four F's come together. And what I've realized 
is that if I'm intentionally engaging those four pillars, the byproduct of my life is purpose, meaning. I don't ask the question of what my purpose is. I don't ask the Lord, what's my purpose, Lord? Give me purpose. I don't ask Him. It just happens as a byproduct. Mm. People just, I'm going to influence because I'm obedient or I'm surrendered. It's just happening. I don't ask, what's the meaning of life? I don't ask these questions anymore mm. because I've decided to step in it and, and be active in it. And then influence and meaning and purpose just become byproducts. Wow. And then discernment becomes a big part of my life. Living, I call it spiritual breathing. So what I'm doing is even already through this interview, I'm trying to spiritually breathe through, Lord, what do you want me to say? What story do you want me to connect with based off the question? Right. Like that's, that's, that's living in the spirit. Yeah. And I want to give that to other men. So that's what men of growth is about. It's so good. Faith, fitness, family, and finances. So you speak, you have a podcast. Is mm -hmm. that, can people find your podcast? Yeah, it's been almost two years now since the last episode. We had 131 episodes. I was oh, wow. doing it with a team, and then I started doing a solo. Um, the men that I started with were like, man, this is your baby. And this has been a great growth opportunity for us. But we had concluded that they were moving in different directions. The Lord was moving them. And so I started doing it by myself. And then uh, the Lord made some shifts in my life, started getting more involved in the church I was in. And so we kind of shut down the podcast for a while, started doing mini conferences through our church uh, with the Men of Growth content. And so that's where things are at right now. So between how I'm serving in the church and Men of Growth just kind of sitting there right now, and then what I do full time at the school as a campus pastor, things are just kind of sitting here and I'm waiting for the Lord to give me the next assignment. Yeah. So Men of Growth is a podcast. You can go to Apple or anywhere and just find it. You can find it. And there's 130, 131 episodes. And, you know, people have time to catch up before the next one launches. Hopefully sometime soon. You got full plate, don't you? Yes. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast. I talk about taking off the backpacks. Huh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's amazing. You talk about in here somewhere, you talk about either you're growing or you're dying. Mm-hmm. You've discovered that in, in your life's experience. Talk about that for a second. Sure. The concept comes out of, like, when you look at all organic material, it's either growing or it's dying. From a Christian worldview, it's, 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 uh, I, it, it's both all the time. In order to grow, you have to agree to die to self. Mm -hmm. And then from there the Lord will start to move and you will grow. But if you're not... The seed goes in the ground. Yes. Dies. And it's always being watered. Yeah. Right? And so it's this interesting thing that if... Like, I was talking with one of your folks, uh, Leanne. We were talking about one of my biggest struggles with the men that I'll sit down and have coffee with is when I have more desire for them to change than they do themselves. Mm -hmm. You're not growing. That's why you're in the mess you're in. So you're dying. You're dying spiritually. You might be dying physically because you're not taking care of yourself. So you're either growing or you're dying. And it's your choice. Now, ultimately, yes, physically, at the biological level, you know, we're, we're going to die. But spiritually, we could be thriving even on our deathbed. Right. As a pastor, I have experienced both sitting next to somebody in the hospital on their deathbed 
somebody who is dying miserably and somebody who is dying with complete joy and grace. Yeah. Interesting. And from a rah-rah masculine perspective, guys just like the mantra. (laughs) Grow or die, baby. You know, get in the weight room, throwing around weight. (laughs) So it's kind of catchy. What is it about the Bible? You know, Mm. it's... It's an amazing thing. I've, I've, it really is alive mm. in my experience. I mean, this this is an amazing. Mm. This is, it's an amazing thing, um, and yet you know some people just in religious contexts can just be it can just feel like death to read the Bible, but there's something that is so alive about mm. it, in a in the best sense. Yeah. So how do you talk to like if you were if you were dealing with a young man and they were, and he was saying well I want to start reading it or I want to learn or I want where do you tell him to start like for example this is probably different than most Christians tell people I tell him to get a Bible that has zero or as few study notes in it as possible mm-hmm. um, I do like the red letter editions <laughs> right. right? But uh, I start them in Genesis. Hmm. And I, Genesis 1 through Exodus 20. Get the foundational story. And don't just read it. The Bible was meant to be studied. Just reading it can have a formational element to it. The Lord will use it to speak to you. Mm-hmm. But when you study it and you start asking it questions, you start writing in it, you start creating your own footnotes, you start seeing the pieces of the puzzle that get put together, it becomes fascinating and you, got to, you get to see the artistry and the beauty of it as it was written thousands of years ago. And you realize, you know, antiquity had something very intellectual to offer us today. So I start them in Genesis through Exodus 20 and then we'll jump into um, the linear story of getting into Joshua Judges, 1st, 2nd Samuel, into Kings to where we get to King David. Then we'll study some area, uh, areas of the prophets and then I'll jump them into Luke Acts. Because I want to use kind of a short, basic storyline to let them get the big picture and start seeing how these things connect. And then by the time they get to Jesus and he starts quoting back to these Hebrew texts, they're like, whoa, and now they're putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And we're building biblical literacy not just devotional reading. Hmm. This changed in me in 2016 when I did my first trip to Israel. So I also lead trips to Israel every two years. I take about 50 people. Hmm. And um, the land of Israel is a character in Scripture. Hmm. And you don't get that from reading it in the English. Hmm. And so I went back to school and I started studying Hebrew and the Greek. And um, I'm fascinated by it. So we strip it down. We get rid of the study notes. And we're like, dive in and have somebody that's a little ahead of you that you can start talking to and ask questions. And so when I'm meeting with men or students, I get to be that person. Mm. <laughs> and then it's, in, it's helping me grow and learn. Yeah. Wow. And mo- like I hear a lot of Christians, a lot of pastors, start them in the book of John. Get right. them right to Jesus. Right. Well, yeah, that is powerful. That is powerful. But contextually, um, I, I am fascinated by the Jewish background of the Christian faith. Hmm. Jesus was a Jew. Right. All first believers were Jews. Right. 
right? And um, the more I've learned about that culture and what was going on, it's just rich. Mm. So it's a little different. In your life, do you, have you had experiences with Scripture where he, you really believe he's giving you something for this moment? Absolutely. Yeah, that has happened to me all the time. 100%. It's like, bam. And, it, and, it, and it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. That, that's where I, when I'm talking about like it's a living thing, there's been times, I mean, in our journey where it's just like, you've got to be kidding me with what I just got. <laughs> you know, have you had those experiences? Between that and between prayer. And those two things coming together. Those two have been the greatest influences on like having those encounters, those little what some people would call God winks. I right. like I, I like to call them heavenly downloads. He's like, <laughs> I'm gonna give you a little download of something special here. Right. And you can't forget them. No. Like that's one of the things I've I've like been so intense about like writing them down, dates. Like if you go through my Bible, it's like here's yep. December 16th, 2018, yep. he told me this. And I hang on to it and because I, I want to remember. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was probably about six, seven years ago when I sit down with men or women or anybody. I have, my, I have two of my great-grandma's Bibles. I actually do have a great-grandpa on my mom's side that was a Baptist preacher. And then my great-grandma. When I was a kid, if I thought about God, I thought about great-grandma. And great-grandma, I thought, made me think about God. And I have two of her Bibles that are just marked up. And I remember when I got those after she had passed, I was like, this Bible looks like my Bible. (laughs) It's just mangled with notes (laughs) and dates. And I was like, I'm going to start paying attention to that. So like, I would love to look at your Bible and take a picture of it. I collect pictures of people's Bibles. And it's no coincidence that those who are most, those who have the greatest encounters with the Lord, their Bibles look very similar. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I had a I met a guy in an apartment complex that I was doing work in an apartment in apartments in Dallas, Texas, and and this guy he, it's a wild story, but he he was burned almost from head mm. to toe, and he was he looked really it was painful to kind of look at him. I mean, mm. guy, but one time he brings his Bible in, and he would start to he was teaching me, in his Bible, like there was not a word. <laughs> without some kind of different color highlighters. He had green for this and pink for that and yellow for that yeah. and underlines. And, that, that, that. and, and, he, and he, one of the things that bothered him the most was about baptism. He's like, because he was convinced baptism yeah. was an immersion, you know, mm-hmm. and he was yeah. big on this. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm a Presbyterian pastor's okay. kid where we sprinkle people, you know. <laughs> and, he, and so one day he's like, Dean, he bring, you could hardly understand when he would talk, but he was, his name was Philip. He comes in with his Bible and he says, Dean, Find sprinkle. <laughs> find sprinkle. I'm like, Philip, I'm not going to find sprinkle. It's not in there. Yeah. I yeah. concede, you know. But he knew it so well. Yeah. And he was, it was like yeah. he, was, he was breathing this, the word. Yeah. It's, uh, but it's, it's a, that's an amazing, that's wonderful. So you take him from Genesis 1 to Exodus 20, and then you spend a little more time. Yeah, we'll kind of, we'll jump, we'll jump over. Uh, the rest of, you know, the civil and ceremonial law and the things that are in the rest of Exodus. And then we'll jump over, um, you know, a lot of uh, 
we'll jump over some places, the numbers and Leviticus. There, there are there are really good things. But if this is somebody who's just learning how, and they, I want him to get the overarching story, yeah. I want him to get like a, a faster, quicker overview of the whole thing, and then go back and like reading the Bible isn't something you just do and you're done. This is a lifetime right. endeavor. Right, right. Let's get the macro picture, the meta narrative, as scholars say. And then let's now start to chew and start to understand it on a deeper level. Right. And I'm actually in the process of developing kind of a small, I don't want to call it a curriculum, but an overview with a reading plan that isn't, you know, the Bible in a year and you read a passage in the Old Testament and then you read a Psalm and then you read a New Testament. It's so, those are so nonlinear and confusing. What am I reading? I want them to get the story. And why is, what was this pointing to? And why does Jesus refer back to this so often, mm. right? So I'm putting together that here's the Bible, 66 books written over a course of 1,500 years, at least 40 different authors. We can break it down into 12 eras. Mm. We break it down into 12 eras. And each era, there are books that actually tell us about that era. And I'm breaking all that down. And this is the way we teach it to our young people at, in, in the middle school, and then they get a different version of it to expand it in our high school. And so I'm working on how do we, how do we take that to the church and mm. make it real simple. Mm. I, I spoke uh, a week ago at a young adults group, and um, I set them up to have some good table discussion. And as I moved around the room, this came up. These young people were like, you know, I really don't know how to read the Bible. Where do I start? Yeah. And, and that just affirmed yeah. this pattern that I see and kind of that, that there is formational reading and there is devotional reading, but then they're studying the scripture, which will form you. Yeah. And it's a both. Right. You use oh, both. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's and it won't return void. Mm hmm. We only have like a minute left. Yeah. I'm trying to think of yeah. how, which, which direction to go. I know. I didn't get so, a chance. So, I wanted to ask you some questions. No, man. sorry. Sorry. <laughs> we don't have any time. Uh, Sister Regina. Yeah. All in for life. Go all the way. When you think, I, I get the sense that you're a guy who's discipling people kind of on the backswing. You, you don't probably have to like seek this out. I mean, this out of the overflow of your life and what you're doing, I'm sure that you just have lots of opportunities. But what do you want your legacy to, to be? If you're thinking about legacy and impact and influence, how do you how do you want to be described, you know, generations from now? Sure. Uh, I know funny. it's not all about you. The standard but... Christian answer is I want, you know, this, oftentimes what I hear with this question, even when I've asked other people that I've interviewed, is I want people to know I love the Lord, and I want people to know Jesus because of something I've contributed. Yeah, that's there. That's 100%. That's deep inside me. But I realized many years ago there are four things that I want to leave people that I've encountered or influenced. Number one, I hope that people that have experienced my life, they become a better and deeper thinker. Because hmm. if they think well, Jesus is probably going to do his work in them. Mm -hmm. Number two, so from a thinker, do they dream big? dream big God gave us this amazing mind to think about big stuff so dream big and if you've become a bigger dreamer and you want more and you want to answer Jesus question what do you want because we've encountered life together I'm leaving legacy in your life That's good. number three 
Uh, I would hope that I have at least witnessed what a good collaborator looks like, what it looks like to really work well with other people. Mm. So a thinker, a dreamer, a collaborator, and number four is a, is a co-creator. And I use co-creator on purpose because we can't create anything without God creating us and giving us the substance of life first. Mm -hmm. I want all three of my children to when they talk about me on the last day, whenever that may be, is that my dad taught me how to think, he taught me how to dream, he taught me how to collaborate, and he taught, he taught me how to go out and co-create with the stuff that God gave us. Mm. They'll find Jesus in it, I have no doubt. They'll find Jesus in that. That's beautiful. Next time you're on, we should get to the deep stuff. <laughs> I know, <laughs> we're, we're just, just in the bathtub the, right now. about the weather We need to get in the ocean. We really, we really need to get into it. Man, it's great to meet you. I'm inspired. I'm like ready to go conquer the world. Right, right on, now. man. Great. Well, I appreciate what you're doing, and thanks for having me today. Yeah, this is good stuff. This is the good stuff. This is good life. Jade Molina, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.